0: A number of years ago, I saw a cartoon in a magazine. One man was sitting with his feet up on his desk, quite relaxed. Another man with a frown on his face, standing up, pointing at him. And the caption underneath the man, obviously standing up, saying, I have an important job for you to do, Hafner. Yours. Do your job, Hafner. Okay, ladies, confused down there. Anyway. God one time said to a very humble woman, I have an important job for you to do, Naomi, yours. It's a beautiful story, very dramatic. We find it in a little obscure book found in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth is... uh, lived in a very difficult time, as did Naomi, a time when it says right at the beginning. In fact, let me read these first five verses to you because it introduces the story. There are five movements in the story, the rather tragic opening to the story which sets the scene. And then we have a a, a movement back toward recovery from the tragedy. And then we have two portions of the story that tell us about how the story is going to move into a beautiful ending, and then we have the crescendo, the beautiful climax to the story. So the story begins, interestingly enough, at the beginning of the book. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while... In the country of Moab, the man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and went to they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left. With her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Killian also died, and Naomi was left without her husband and her two sons. Wow, you say, man, that's a downer. Happy Mother's Day tough story but the story moves on that the god removed the famine from the land of judah from bethlehem interestingly the name bethlehem bethlehem means the house of bread but in the house of bread where naomi and elimelech and their two sons lived there was this famine so they moved. They moved away to a place called Moab, Gentileville, a place where they weren't supposed to be associating with people. And interestingly, their sons married two Moabite women, also forbidden for the Jews to marry unregenerate Jews. So after a while, it says that uh, when Naomi heard in verse 6 that uh, the Lord had Come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So Naomi said, "You know, this is a loser place. I came over here, probably not honoring God. We didn't trust God during the famine. And while many of our countrymen stayed there in Judah and in Bethlehem, we came off here to Gentileville to to uh, actually says the fields of Moab, where there were crops and we could." Eat and now that the famine is gone, it's time for me to go back. And the two daughters-in-law would begin to pack up their stuff to go with her. And this next movement of the story, the rest of chapter one, Naomi is saying, "Hey, girls, don't go back. You don't want to go with me. You don't want to go with me. God's hand has come against me. Uh, life is tough for me. Life is bitter for me. I'm a loser." I'm going back to my country where you will be foreigners. You don't need to go back. I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing. Stay. Stay here. And the writer tells us both Orpah and Ruth lifted up their voices and wept loudly. They didn't want to leave her. And she insisted. She said, look, girls, I'm telling you, you don't want to go back there with me. And it says, Orpah decided to go home to be with her parents, to find a young man to marry and raise a family there. And and so she stayed. But it says, Ruth lifted up her voice again and wept and said, Mom, I will never leave you. I will never leave you. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. I ain't leaving, Mom. I'm going with you. So they went back. And chapter 2 tells the story of their arrival back in Bethlehem. And interestingly enough, when they got back, the women there, the people in, in Bethlehem remembered Naomi. It had been like 10 years, and I said, hey, wow, Naomi's back. Wonderful. And she said, yeah, I'm back, but listen, my name Naomi means gracious. It means full. It means happy. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter, because the hand of God has dealt bitterly with me. My life stinks. I'm not comfortable you calling me joy and fullness and marriage. That's not the reality of my life. God has dealt very harshly with me, but I'm back. And then chapter 2 tells how uh, Naomi and, and Ruth, living there in Bethlehem, they had no man to protect them. They had no man to provide for them. But Israel had this law of the gleaner, which said when the, people, when the farmers uh, harvested their field, they were intentionally to leave some of the crop behind. So the poor, the widows, those who were on, on hard times, could come behind the, glean, behind the harvesters and glean what was left over and provide food for themselves and their family. So Naomi, chapter 2, said to Ruth, Hey, Ruth, uh, this is our custom. Go find a field where they're harvesting and go, just get in line behind the harvesters and, and bring home some food. And so she took care of Ruth. And We don't know why Naomi, maybe she was old. We don't know, but she didn't go to the field. She sent Ruth to the field to, uh, to uh, take care of things. And she met the owner, and he took a shine to her, and he was very kind to her, took good care of her. We'll come back and look at that in a bit. And, and so she, he befriended her and gave her extra grain, and, and so this relationship began to develop between uh, uh, Ruth and this farmer named Boaz, When Ruth came home and told Naomi that Boaz, she gleaned in the field of, of Boaz, and Boaz was especially nice to her, Naomi said, well, he's one of our relatives. He's a relative of my husband. And there's another custom, there's another law in Israel that says if a man dies, his brother is to take care of his wife and raise up children with his brother's wife so that the family name and the family property doesn't go away. It's a way that God said, we're going to perpetuate the ability of people to keep their land, the ability of people to provide for themselves, so that nobody's left destitute. So that was another custom. Well, both of Naomi's sons had died, and so it went to the next nearest relative. And interestingly enough, it was this guy Boaz. So chapter 3, Naomi once again takes over and says to Ruth, now there's a, here's how this leveret marriage thing, this marry your brother and raise up children uh, with his wife, this is how it works. And so she explained this thing of how a woman would propose to a man, a kind of an elaborate process. You can read it there in chapter 3. But essentially, Ruth went and proposed to Boaz and said, hey, I'm available. And he said, whoa, good. So they got married. Nice. story's taking on a little bit of a nicer tone here. And then in chapter 4, we read that Boaz and uh, uh, Ruth culminated their marriage, and she had a child, a baby boy. And the women in the village in Bethlehem came to Naomi and said, your, your uh, adopted daughter, this Ruth and Boaz, they had a baby. And now this baby is your savior. He is the one who will inherit the land that your family owned, even after Limelech and your two sons died, so all is good. And, and then it ends with a, with a uh, what do you call it, a, a genealogy about the descendants of Boaz and Ruth. So that's basically the story. Starts off very, they they moved to Moab. The three men died and she was left destitute, taking care of two daughters-in-law. She decided to go home. One of the daughters-in-law decided to go home with her. She married a wealthy farmer uh, who was a relative and, and they had a baby and Naomi was able to preserve the heritage, her family's heritage and keep her family's land and not die a destitute death kind of cool. But it's not just a story. There's a purpose for the story. God said, Naomi, I have a job for you. It's going to be a tough one. But I believe enough in you that I'm going to trust you to accomplish this incredibly important job that i have so in this story we find a few observations first observation about naomi is that she faced life's tough issues honestly tough issues this word the word that says when her husband died she was left alone When her two sons died, she was left, a widow alone in a foreign country where there was no social services, nothing, nobody to provide for her, nobody to protect her. Terrifying, confusing, and sad. She was left. One afternoon, our phone rang, and it was one of Jeanette's friends, a widow, who said to ask Jeanette if she could come. her house Jeanette went over and she said the doors unlocked just come in Jeanette went in and she called the her friend's name and her friend said up here she was upstairs and she went up and the woman was sitting in her daughter's bedroom she had just come back from the airport from dropping her daughter off at college she said when I walked into this house I realized it's only me. My husband has died. My, wife, my daughter now has gone off to college, and happily she'll meet a man and marry, and I am left all alone. And she broke down and wept. Many of you have come home after the funeral Or after your daughter's wedding and walked in the room. This awful feeling. It was joyous. It was fun. But it's over. And that's what Naomi was dealing with. And so when the women said, welcome back, Naomi, she said, no. No, life is bitter my life is hard my life is but she faced into it she said I have been left and in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 1 he says don't call me Naomi she told him call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter I went away full but Yahweh has brought me back empty Why call me Naomi? Yahweh has afflicted me, and Shaddai has brought misfortune upon me. Now I read two commentaries this week that called Naomi a bitter old woman, which is horribly unfair. First of all, read the text. It doesn't say she was... Bitter, as she said, God's hand has dealt bitterly with me. She faced into reality. Yes, life hurts. I'm brokenhearted. I'm scared. I'm terrified. I don't know what's going to happen. Why has God done this to me? My life right now is in the dumpster. I read a, a, a book by, well, actually, I was introduced to this man, Jerry Sitzer. Have you, you used this, Sitzer? He wrote a book called A Grace Disguised. One day, Jerry Sitzer was sitting in his living room, and there was a knock at the door, and two policemen came in, said, we need to visit. He said, there's been a terrible automobile accident, and your mother, your wife, and your daughter were killed and sisters whole life turned upside down and he wrote this book called a grace disguised to talk about how God he was a pastor but he hurt he was confused he was angry But he faced into it, and he said, this is my reality, and I need to figure out how to make it work. And one of the beautiful statements in Sitzer's book is we must run into the darkness, because that's where we find the light. And he's saying we don't find the light by running away from the pain and saying, oh, it's okay, Jesus loves me. It's all right that my child died. No, it isn't all right. It's confusing. It hurts. It generates confusion and anger. And the first thing we need to do is what Naomi did and say, this is reality and I need to face into it and I need to deal with it and not run from it. Run into the darkness because that's where I find the light. God is in the darkness and he's there for a reason. And so the second thing we see about Naomi is not only did she face into it, but she faced into it with a clear sense of God's sovereignty. This whole book, over and over again, it speaks of how God is in charge. Uh, in 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 chapter one, that God took away the famine, which leads us to conclude that God brought the famine from the the way the first verses are structured. That there was a famine in the land. We see in chapter two that that when that Ruth just happened to go to the field of Boaz, this relative who could. Take care of, her. and it says also, and it just happened that Boaz came to the field, and it just happened that Boaz. Well, the text says, "Who is that young?" Woman? Boaz asked the overseer of the, of his uh, harvesters, "Who does that young woman belong to?" Now, that's one way to read that. Who does that one young woman belong to? Now, I don't think that's what Boaz said. I think, mean, "Who does that young woman belong to? <laughs> Who's the chick?" Yeah, and it shows us, you read that chapter, he really took to her. He gave her extra grain. He protected her from anybody harming. He invited her, please come back to my field. Don't go to these other fields. Come back. So he's kind of courting her. And it didn't just happen that she went there. And when you go to chapter 4, it talks about uh, Boaz and Ruth had a baby. It reads like this way. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. Boaz might say, you know, I had something to do with that too. But theologically, it says the Lord. She had been 10 years married to one of Naomi's sons and never had a child. And now, the Lord, Enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, "Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer." So throughout this book, we find God's sovereignty. This 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 passage we read before in chapter two, uh, chapter one, verse eleven. Let me read it again. Naomi said, "Don't call me uh, Mara because Shaddai has made." my life very bitter. I went away full, but Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Yahweh has afflicted me. Shaddai has brought misfortune upon me. These two names of God, Yahweh is the covenant-keeping God. Genesis chapter 1, where it describes the creation of the universe, the name for God there is Elohim, the powerful God, the one who creates chapter 2, where it talks about God created man and woman in His own image, and He loved them, and He entered into covenant with them. It's the name Yahweh, the personal God, the covenant-keeping God, the God who loves, the God who cares, the God who knows, the God who enters into your life. So twice, Naomi, in looking at the bitterness of her life, said, Yahweh, the loving God, the covenant-keeping God has done this. And Shaddai has made my life. Shaddai is the the God of the mountain, the magnificent God, the huge God, the powerful God, the God who controls. So Naomi said, while my life is bitter, I understand that my life is in the hands of a loving God who can do whatever he wants. Now, it's awfully easy when people talk about Oh, I got a raise. Praise God. It was God's will that I get a raise. Well, good. Would it have been God's will if he didn't get the raise? Is God just as sovereign when life hurts as it is when he's giving you cupcakes? Naomi seemed to think so. Job seemed to think so. This name for God, Shaddai, it's used 41 times in the Old Testament. 31 of those 41 times, it's in Job. And two other times, it's in the book of Ruth. Now, we, we, we see uh, this whole book of Job is about the sovereign God, the God who was there for Job, the God who was working behind the scenes to drag Job through this horrible ordeal. That's Shaddai, the sovereign God, even when life hurts. It's too easy to define faith as I believe that when I pray, God is going to do what I ask him or tell him to do. And that's, yeah, that's true. But faith also says, I trust God when he does what I ask him not to do. Naomi said, I am facing into this pain because I'm not facing into it alone. I'm facing into it with a God who loves me. A God who for some reason made my life bitter. And that's the great question. Why do good people suffer? And the most intelligent answer is, don't know. Sometimes we know. Sometimes there's a direct, I messed up. And I'm paying a price for it. The Bible talks about that very carefully. I told Israel, if you don't follow me, I will make life miserable for you because I love you enough to discipline you. To keep you from destroying yourselves with sin, I will put lighter consequences to try to turn your attention back to me. But sometimes we can't attach it to why. Why? Sometimes my dad whacked me on the back of the head. He used to like to do that for some reason. I never asked why, I only asked which. Which thing did he find out about now? who ratted me out this time. And so when God does something and I think, well, you know, I don't think I deserve this. I say, yeah, I probably do. Probably do. I don't know why, but when I don't know why, I'm thrown onto my faith in a sovereign God. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith When you say, I don't have any idea what's going on, but I believe God, and I believe God loves me. And with that belief, with that faith, with that reality, I can move into the darkness and find the light. Third observation is that God allowed, I mean, Naomi allowed God's bitter hand to make her better, not bitter. To say she was a bitter old woman, I think, is to misunderstand the text. The text doesn't say she was bitter. The text says God had dealt bitterly with her. Let me ask you a question. If she was this bitter old shrew, and she was moving away, and she said to her daughters-in-law, oh, no, no, don't go with me. You think they would have said, no, Mom, we want to go with you because you're this bitter old wench. They say, hey, thanks for the relief, baby. We love you, but we're out of here. No, they wept. They said, no way we're going to leave you. Is that a response to a mother-in-law who is nasty and bitter? No, no. Ruth even said, after going through two funerals of her two sons and hearing her talk about the funeral of her husband and knowing she was destitute and alone and terrified, Somehow, through all of that, Ruth saw something where she said, Mom, I want your God to be my God. That, my friend, was Naomi's job. To be so attractive to this daughter-in-law that Ruth would go back with her to Bethlehem. And in terms of using the term, God's hand has gone, been bitter against me, I want to read something Job said. As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty who has made my life bitter, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked, and my tongue will not utter lies." Now, Job uses that word bitter fairly often, and we've set Job up, we've canonized him as the epitome, the poster child for grace and God's faith and this wonderful, godly man named Job, which is true. Naomi says the same thing, and we call her a bitter old woman. Tough being a woman, isn't it? Especially when all the biblical writers were men. Just a bad joke. But you get the point. If it works for Job... Why can't it work for Naomi? And then we finally, we see, in terms of the kind of person, all she does is help people. She tried to talk to her daughters-in-law. It's going to be tough. Don't go back with me. I can be alone. Don't go back with me. She was the one who sent Ruth out to find food. She was the one who arranged the marriage. Not bitter, but better. And then finally, the end of the story. What's this book all about? What was Naomi's job? Why was it so important to get Ruth back to Bethlehem? Well, in chapter 4, we read it. I'll read it again. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian, uh, Redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then it has a brief from Perez, down through David, the genealogy. So what's going on? The purpose of this book was that was written, obviously, after David became famous, it's giving the story, where did David come from? And David, you know, is the father of Jesus, the great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus. Matthew said about his book, the genealogy of of the son of David, the son of Abraham. David is the root of the family of Jesus. And in his sovereignty, God said, there's a Moabite woman who I want in my son's gene pool. And when you read Matthew's genealogy, by the way, the name Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. How did she get there? How do you get a strange Moabite woman into the line of Jesus, eternal Son of God? God said, Naomi... I got an important job for you to do. It's going to be tough. I will put you through hell on earth to get that young woman back here, get her married to Boaz, because that's my plan. I need someone I can trust enough to bring Ruth back here Arrange for her to be married to Boaz because I'm constructing a genealogy for my son. And God says to you and me, Bill, Susan, Sharon, George, Sally, got an important job for you to do. Can I trust you enough to do it? When it gets tough, can I count on you? When it gets bitter, can I count on you to own up to it and say, life is tough right now, but I trust my sovereign God. I trust His love, and I trust His power. I'm going to face into that. I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. Now, Naomi never knew at the end of her life that this little baby she was holding in her arms was going to be David's grandfather. (laughs) and Jesus' great-great-grandfather. Ruth made Jesus' genealogy. Naomi didn't. A lot of you will never make the great genealogies, but your kids might. And somebody might ask, did that kid have a mother? Yeah. You don't know her name. Don't know... Abraham's mother's name, or Daniel's mother's name, or Joshua's mother's name. But they all had one. And they all contributed to making great people. I have a job for you to do. Yours. Can I trust you enough to do it? Jesus isn't just another character. Jesus' genealogy is not just interesting reading. It tells us how God, through the generations, through the centuries, put together a family that would eventually result in a baby whose father was God himself, whose mother was a descendant of David whose legal father, Joseph, was also a son of David. And God the Father said, Jesus, I have an important job for you to do, yours. And Jesus faced some bitterness bitterness in doing his job. He was the man who so loved righteousness. He felt righteousness, the importance of it, and yet he was treated so unjustly, so unrighteously. He embodied love, yet he endured the hatred of his enemies. And the night before he was crucified, he prayed, Father, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. I don't want to suffer that. Nevertheless, even though it's bitter, not my will, but your will be done. And before he was crucified, he wanted his disciples to understand what he was doing. So they had the Passover meal together. And and during the meal, Jesus took the bread that they were eating at the meal, and he broke it in their presence. And he said, this is going to happen to me tomorrow. This bread represents my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat this bread, remember that it stands for my body, which is broken for you. That's how much I love you. And then he took the cup after supper, and he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. As often as you drink it, whenever you drink it, would you remember? (laughs) Would you never forget what I'm going to do for you? And Paul tells us every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we show God's love for us. Before you partake of the wafer and the juice, the elements let's pause for a moment and meditate on just what this is all about that Jesus said my life is very bitter but I'm going to do something that will make everybody's life better we'll sing. Father, thank you for this bread which reminds us that your body was broken for us. As Jesus said, eat ye all of it. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, Drink it in remembrance of me. Let me just do the benediction. Greater love has no man than this, than that a man will lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us, and he asks us to be willing to serve one another, to lay down our lives for him. Stand with me for the benediction. Lord, dismiss us with your blessing. Thank you for this wonderful couple, this, these two women who followed you faithfully and and. Uh, became part of your grand plan, and Lord, we are part of your grand plan, and I pray that life's difficulties and scary things and sad things won't turn us away from faithfully following you, just as our Savior drank the cup, and we benefit for eternity. Dismiss us, Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, with your blessing and your strength. Amen.